Over here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, you know, there's only a few verses in the New Testament that specifically talk about spiritual warfare. And I think that that's significant. Now, there's a lot of verses that show Jesus and disciples casting out devils. There's a lot of verses that illustrate spiritual warfare, and I've talked about that this week. We are in a battle, and you ignoring it is not going to stop things. You've got to understand that we're in a battle, that there's a kingdom of heaven and a kingdom of darkness that are in collision course, and you're the one that's actually deciding and choosing which one will dominate your life. I believe in spiritual warfare. So there's a lot of examples of it, but really there's very little teaching on spiritual warfare. We've already talked about some of those verses over in Ephesians chapter 6. It says we're wrestling not against flesh and blood, etc., but we're against principalities. And it says right there in that 11th verse, therefore stand against the wiles of the devil. You know, the word wiles there is talking about deception, lies, deceit of the devil. And if you would carefully study it, I had not got time to go through all of them. There's about 12 uh, passages of Scripture that specifically talk about spiritual warfare. If you went through every one of them, one of the things that's, that you're going to find is consistent is that every time it mentions spiritual warfare... Anybody know where I'm headed? Anybody guess what, what it talks about in spiritual warfare? Huh? talking about your mind. I believe that there is spiritual warfare, but every time spiritual warfare is mentioned, it talks about like deception against the wiles of the devil or something. The mind is involved every single time. And it's very important, and I make this point, because I've been talking about spiritual authority, we've talked about demons, we've talked about spiritual warfare, but today spiritual warfare has become kind of a buzzword and people have this concept that we're out there doing war and tearing down these things and all of the battle is out there. There's people that are praying and binding the spiritual powers over an area and all of these kind of things. And brothers and sisters, a lot of that stuff is just flaky. It cannot be done. And Satan would love to have you out here binding and doing all of these things because that's not where the battle is. Oh, it's quiet in this Presbyterian church. The battle in the Christian life, spiritual warfare, is right between your ears. It's not somewhere else. It's important that you get this. Look at these passages here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. In verse 3, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And you'll hear people take this passage of Scripture and talk about not warring after the flesh and now you've got to get into the Spirit. Now you've got to fight things in the Spirit, which I've been saying those things this week. But look at the rest of this. In verse 5 here it says, here's what they do. Casting down imaginations. What are imaginations? It's one of the functions of your mind. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Where's the knowledge of God? That's in your brain. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Here's what these spiritual weapons do. There's three things. They cast down imaginations, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and brings into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Satan's warfare against you is in your brain. 
he's coming at you with thoughts. He cannot touch your spirit. Satan doesn't have the power to oppress or dominate your spirit or do anything. Man, if I had time tonight, we could share uh, all, a lot of things. But your spirit is complete. Your spirit is as born again as it'll ever get. It'll never get any better. You can't get any more faith. You can't get any more power. You can't get more anointing. You can't get more God. Your spirit's as perfect, as complete right now. It's the same spirit that you'll have throughout all eternity. It's complete. It is not headed to victory. It's already totally, totally, totally victorious. It's complete. It's perfect. Your spirit, it's, it's exactly as Jesus is. 1 John chapter uh, 4, verse 17 says that. Your spirit's perfect. You've already got the fullness of Christ on the inside of you. You know what the problem is in the Christian life? It's your brain. Your brain is kind of like the bottleneck. All of the things that you've already received in Christ Jesus have to be released through your mind. You are a spirit, soul, and body, and your mind is that kind of the, the valve, the control. And your mind has to be renewed. This is exactly the reason the Bible says over in Revelation, or excuse me, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I know I've said this a hundred times here, but it needs to be said. There may be somebody that doesn't know this. The word transform there is the Greek word metamorpho, or metamorpho, or however you say it. I'm not Greek. I know a little Greek and a little Hebrew. One owns a deli and the other one runs a <laughs> restaurant, but I don't know. Anyway, it means it's the word that we get metamorphosis from. And it's just like a little worm spins a cocoon and comes out a butterfly. If you want to be changed like that, how does it happen? By the renewing of your mind. You already got everything. And see, this is what Satan is using to to stop the flow of God, to dam up the flow of God in your life and to keep you ineffective. He's coming against you with thoughts, with attitudes, with concepts, and that is the way that he is bringing bondage into your life. Satan cannot come overpower you. Satan doesn't have authority. That's what I've been teaching. Those of you that have been here, I've tried to make that very clear. Satan doesn't have the power to do anything. Satan doesn't have power to stop you from being healed. Satan doesn't have power to stop you from doing anything. Satan cannot stop anything. Satan has no power to stop anything. If he could have stopped anything, he would have stopped you from getting born again. Man, that was a key issue right there. And if you got born again, then you've already exercised enough power that there is no reason for Satan to stop you. But you know what the difference is? Most people hear the gospel. The gospel, how to get born again, the initial born again experience is preached more accurately. There is more correct information about that than there is about other things. The scripture says in Colossians chapter 2 verse 6, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. That means the same way you receive salvation is the same way you continue to walk with him. But most people see change. They get saved by grace. They get saved by putting faith in the Lord. But then when it comes to receiving from the Lord on other things, they operate differently. And it's because you think differently that it's harder to be healed, prospered, delivered, etc. than it is to be born again. The truth is that if you ever were going to have trouble receiving anything from God, you should have had trouble getting born again because you were by nature a child of the devil. You didn't have faith. You didn't have the life of God on the inside of you. You were not baptized in the Holy Ghost. 
You did not have a prayer language where you could communicate directly with God and pray the hidden wisdom of God and then pray that you interpret. You didn't have believers that you could agree with. Man, you had zero zip zilch going for you. If the devil could ever stop you from doing anything, he would have stopped you from getting born again. Satan doesn't have power to stop a thing. All he can do is come at you with lies, deception. The battle is in the mind. He comes at you with thoughts, concepts, false thinking. And if you want to be transformed, if you want to be transformed from somebody that is weak and powerless and can't walk in the victory of God and have joy and peace, I guarantee you the thing to do is to renew your mind. That's where the battle is. That's what these spiritual weapons are for, is casting down imaginations, everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought under the obedience of Christ. And yet this is the very area where most Christians are missing it. And I tell you, one of the, I believe, if, if the Lord tarries, and if we look back, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. And when we look back 10 years from now, if the Lord tarries, and we look at the things that have gone through, we're going to look at the flaky spiritual warfare teaching that has come through the body of Christ and the way that people have joined together and spent days and weeks and months and years praying and rebuking the demonic spirits and casting things down. Now, there's a place for that. I do it. I have done it. I pray and I rebuke demonic powers. And, and the Scripture shows us in uh, Daniel chapter 9 that there were demonic powers such as the prince of Persia that stood, withstood um, the prayer of Daniel. There is a place for it, but it is not the place that it's occupying today. A lot of people think, well, who cares? That's what we're doing today. I tell you, you ought to find a precedent for what you're doing in the Bible. Paul did not send intercessors in to prepare the soil and to pray for the people and to spend all of this time before he went in and preached the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is more powerful than your prayers. You can't get people born again through prayer. You get people born again through the gospel. Now, you can pray, but again, it's not, it, do, it doesn't take a lot of time to pray. Well, I know I'm really stepping on some people's toes. I can just feel some of you rejecting me over this thing. But I'm trying to get across a point here. Satan has us out there fighting, you know, these ghost figures. It's... If you had an enemy that could project a false image and get you to spending all of your time fighting this false enemy while he's over here doing all of his damage, that would be a great trick. That's what the devil's doing. The devil's got us over here praying and binding everything. There's people that plead the blood and say, man, I refuse to allow the devil into this church. We plead the blood over this service. The devil can't come into here. That doesn't work. And I know there's some people saying, brother, I just don't believe that. If the devil crossed the bloodline, he'd be a saved devil. Well, I can guarantee you that the devil's in here tonight. He's in here in a lot of people. That's the truth. And if you think, well, we aren't allowing the devil to come in here, we wouldn't have any people in here. If that, if that could happen... If you can plead the blood over this tent and no demons can come in here, well, then why, with this many people, why don't we just increase the radius, let's say one mile, and get rid of all demons and make every person either move out of one mile radius or get born again? I mean, if you can do it in a small area, aren't we missing it? 
not to release our faith and just demand that everybody within a mile radius. And then once we get all of them, say, well, I don't go down here to the Coliseum tonight. And if they have 25,000 people, why don't we teach this and why don't we get everybody to agree and let's just have the demons leave within a hundred mile radius of this place and get everybody within that area either born again or leaving. And then once that happens, let's get all of them together when we have promise keepers come together and get 150,000 people together. Let's get them all off the East Coast. Man, if that stuff is true, we are missing it to not just plead the blood and get the devil totally out of the state and out of the nation. And why didn't Jesus do it? If that can be done. Why didn't Jesus do it and make every single person get born again? Wow. Poor Jesus. He didn't know the teaching that they got out today. <laughs> he was at a disadvantage. I mean, why didn't Paul do those things? And why didn't he go in? You know, the reason he failed at Athens and the reason he got run out of town on a rail and the reason he was thrown into the prison in Philippi was because he just didn't have any intercessors. If this guy would have known what we know, he could have solved this problem so that there wouldn't have been any opposition. And he could have had just wonderful results. I have people come up and say, who are your intercessors? I tell them I hadn't got any. I have people, I've got a number of people on staff and a lot of people who are partners with us that come and they ask me all of the time, can we be your intercessors? And I tell them, no. <laughs> I said, all you want is to know all of my deepest, darkest secrets. You want to get in my back pocket and live with me. You want to find out. You want to gain things so that you can gain control, so that you can come up and begin to start telling me what God told me to do. I said, you can pray for me all you want to and let the Holy Ghost direct you. You don't have to be my official intercessors. You don't have to have some authority. You don't have to travel with me and sit back there and pray in tongues during the service and miss all the good teaching I'm giving. <laughs> Teacher Andy. But you know, we miss it. And there's a lot of weird things. And there are people that are putting huge amounts of effort into fighting the devils out there and pleading the blood over their day and rebuking this and rebuking that and on and on and on it goes. I guarantee you Satan can't do anything in your life unless you're giving place to him. And the way that he comes against you is through high imagination, thoughts that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. If you deal with your thought life and if all you do is think spiritually minded, Romans chapter 8, verse 6, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And John 6, 63 says, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Being spiritually minded is word minded. You get your mind renewed, you begin to start walking in the word of God and Satan can do zip, zero zilts to you. You will be transformed through the renewing of your mind. The Lord will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him because he trusteth in him. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. You can rebuke the spirit of confusion and you can rebuke depression and bind demon spirits from now until Jesus comes. And if you don't get your mind stayed on the Word of God and on the Lord, you aren't going to have peace. It says again over... Look at another passage of Scripture on this over in Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. In verse 2 it says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. The truth is everybody already has peace as a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. So peace is already here in your spirit. 
but it'll be multiplied unto you. You'll begin to experience it. You'll begin to start a actually feeling it and enjoying peace when you get the knowledge of our God and Savior. When you begin to start getting the right knowledge, peace flows. Peace is directly related to what you think upon. And there's a lot of people trying to rebuke the devil so that they'll have peace. You can't rebuke a lack of peace. Peace doesn't leave by rebuking it. Peace comes by what you know. The Lord keeps him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him. Peace is an emotion. You could expand on this and be correct to say that emotions are based on knowledge. If you are thinking on the things of this world, if you're thinking the way that this world thinks, you're going to be depressed and discouraged. And you can bind demons of discouragement and rebuke this and stand against that. And as long as your mind's in the gutter, you're going to be depressed and discouraged. That's just the way that it is. And you can rebuke it. I can bid peace on you and you can get peace momentarily, but it will not last until you get your mind stayed upon the Lord. If you do not have peace flowing in your life, you do not have your mind stayed upon the Lord. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. To be carnally minded is death. If you've got death instead of life and peace, you're carnally minded instead of spiritually minded. Anybody miss that? The devil can't do anything in your life except that he comes to you and tempts you with thoughts. You know, I've, I've taught... This is one of my favorite things, and I know I've taught along these lines and some of you have heard these, but you've got to relate it back to this authority issue. When you start dealing with the devil and doing battle with the devil, you've got to recognize that what he's fighting for is your mind. He's fighting for your thoughts. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. Your thoughts determine your actions. Your actions are byproducts of thoughts. Most Christians have basically swallowed a... Uh, a philosophy, a psychology that's gone forth in our society today about, you know, behavior modification. The whole emphasis is on how to change your behavior and to restrict this and to restrict that, and yet we haven't dealt with our thought life. Actions are just a byproduct of the way you think. And if you're trying to change your actions without changing your thinking, you are going to be ineffective at best and at worst, you're going to be frustrated, you're going to be confused, and you can't understand why things are going on. That's right where most Christians are. They just can't understand why things are going the way they're going. They're going that way because that's exactly the way you've been thinking. As a person thinks in their heart, that's the way that they are. Satan's battle is over the mind. In the third chapter of the book of um, Genesis, you find where Satan came and tempted Adam and Eve, and he came against Adam and Eve. I know I taught this a couple of years ago, but it just fits. Amen. But he came against Adam and Eve, and he came with words. He didn't come and overpower them. He didn't come as a mammoth and put his foot on their throat and threaten them that if you don't yield to me, I'm going to kill you. He didn't intimidate them. He didn't overpower them. Satan, in his, in his slickest disguise he's ever had. I mean, this was the premier test. If he ever pulled out all of the stops and threw everything that he had at mankind, I can guarantee you it was against Adam and Eve because this was critical. If this one didn't work, nothing would work. His neck was on the line. And so Satan came with everything he had. And what did he come with? Did he overpower him? Did he intimidate him? Did he try and scare him? What he did was come with words and he began to mess with their mind and began to start challenging. Did God really say this? And guess who he came to? came to the woman. 
You know, a lot of people will teach that's because a woman is more susceptible to deception. And, you know, I'm, that's not my point. I don't think that that's what the purpose of this was. You know why I think he came to the woman? Because God gave the command not to eat of the tree to the man, not to the woman. He gave it to the man before the woman was created. And the woman received the information secondhand. And so it, she was more susceptible because she could have thought maybe Adam misinterpreted this. Maybe he didn't repeat it word for word. Maybe it wasn't completely the way he said. It was easier for him to deceive Eve than it was Adam because it was secondhand. You know, that's the reason that it's so easy to deceive most Christians because the word isn't first hand to us. Most of us, you're depending on, well, here's what Dean has said. Dean said this. That's what I believe. And all the devil has to say, how do you know Dean has got it right? Then all you got to do is hear somebody counter him and all of a sudden you begin to think, I wonder if that's really true. And boy, Satan's already got you in a tailspin. You don't know what the Word says. You're just, well, it says somewhere in here. That's not going to work. <laughs> Satan, the reason he's tempting people and defeating us so easily is because most of us couldn't defend our faith. If you were put to the test, you couldn't defend it with the Word. You said, well, that's what I've always believed. That's insufficient. That's not good enough. Man, you need to be able to say, thus saith the Lord. Some people say, well, Andrew said, I got it right here on a tape. The devil will laugh and say, big deal. Jesus I know and Andrew I know, but who are you? Amen. <laughs> you need to find out what God's Word says. See, Eve, and I'm not here to fault her, but apparently she just didn't realize that they were in a war. She didn't realize that she was going to really need to know this stuff and she hadn't made God's Word firsthand to her. You need to make God's Word as, hey, this isn't what somebody else has told me. God told me this. God spoke to me. I don't know how to explain this, but somewhere 25, 30, I don't know, 30 years ago, I made a switch in my thinking and when God speaks to me through the Word, it's mine. It's not God told Paul this, it's God told me this. I can sit in a service and when a man says something inspired by the Holy Ghost, when the Lord speaks it to me, it's mine. And I can get up and walk out of there and I've told Jamie before, guess what God told me? And I'll tell her and she says, you just heard that guy preach it and it didn't even register with me that that guy said it. It was God that spoke it to me. You need to make God's Word first person. But he came at her with words, with thoughts. And he said, has God really said? And then when she said, well, yes, he really said. Then he says, well, why did he say it? It's because God's wanting to restrict you. God really doesn't love you. You know, he came against how much God loved them. All of those things can be countered by the Word of God. He came against the Word of God. He attacked the Word. Has God really said? If he hadn't have gotten them to start thinking contrary to what God said, they could not have been tempted. Did you know that you cannot be tempted with what you don't think? Temptation has to start as a thought. If you never thought things that bred temptation, you couldn't be tempted. Well, now that's better than what you thought. Many of you don't realize how important that is. There's some of you that struggle with temptation. You struggle with things and you just, you, 
I have people come to me by the thousands and say, Brother, I'm trying, but why is this happening? And they just can't understand. They're giving place to these things through the kind of thoughts that they allow to flow through them. Most Christians feel responsible for their actions, but they don't feel responsible for their thoughts. They don't feel accountable for their thoughts. And yet the Bible here is saying that spiritual weapons cast down thoughts, imaginations. That's where the weapon, that's where the battle is. The battle is in the thoughts. Once the thoughts begin to start residing on the inside of you, then you've already conceived. Out of James chapter 1, it says lust has to conceive, and when it conceives, it brings forth sin. Sin has to be conceived. It's conceived in your thoughts, and as you think upon it, the emotions, the lusts that come out of it. You, if you want to stop your action, stop the conception part, and you, I can guarantee you, you won't have action. You know, people are using abortion today to, as a form of birth control. That's totally wrong. If you, wanna, if you want to say, well, I believe that a woman has choice, well, exercise your choice before you get pregnant. Amen. I believe you got choice too, but once you conceive a life, you do not have the right to take that life. If you want to exercise your choice, then choose not to get pregnant. If you want to effectively not have any birth, don't have any conception. Well, say everybody, amen, that's right. But you know what? In the spiritual realm, people are allowing Satan to just plant the seed on the inside of you. You conceive a hundred times every day, and then you fight and struggle and strain and moan and groan and do everything you can to stop the birth and wonder, why am I constantly going through this? We're constantly conceiving, feeling no conviction about the conception. That's just like a woman that goes out, shacks up with anybody, everybody, a hundred times a day and can't understand why she's pregnant. Well, we look at that and think, how ignorant could you get? Well, boy, how ignorant can Christians get and still breathe? We're doing the exact same thing. Not understanding that the battle is over the mind. If you can't think it, you can't do it. I got a teaching series over here on hardness of heart. If you haven't heard that, I tell you that is one of the most powerful series. You got to get that series and understand these things. But your heart being your heart being hardened is directly related to the things that you think. Your heart being sensitive is directly related to the things that you think. Your thinking is vitally important. When it comes to spiritual authority and warfare, the battle is over the mind. You got to win the battle in the mind if you're going to win the battle out there in the flesh. And this is where most Christians are missing it. Look over in Hebrews chapter 11 at a passage of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 11. Talking about Abraham. It had just talked about Abraham and Sarah, and then in verse 13 it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. Now this is talking specifically about Abraham. Abraham was commanded by God to leave the country that he came from, Ur of the Chaldees, and enter into this promised land, and that God would give it to him. And this verse is saying that if he had been mindful, you know what the word mindful means? Having your mind full of thoughts about a certain thing. 
Mindful means having your mental attention focused on something. If they had been thinking about the country they came out, they would have had opportunity to return. You know what opportunity to return was for Abraham? Temptation. God had commanded him to leave Ur of the Chaldees, and thinking about going back for him would have been temptation. This is saying that his temptation was linked to what he thought. If he thought about the country he came out of, he would have been tempted to go back. You can also get from that verse by just looking at it that if you are not mindful of the country that you came out of, then you will not be tempted to go back. In other words, you can't be tempted with what you don't think. If you don't think about doing something contrary to what God says, Satan cannot tempt you. You cannot be drawn in that area. You cannot be coerced. Well, that's awesome. If you could stop temptation in your life, imagine how easy it would be to live for God. You know, I, I use this phrase sometimes, that there is such a thing as effortless change. And most Christians just think, brother, there is no such thing. It's a terrible struggle. The only struggle is to discipline your mind. But once you discipline your mind, as you win the battle for the mind, change comes effortlessly. You get your mind where all you do is think, healing. If all you do is meditate on the Word of God and what God's Word says, and if you get your mind disciplined so that you refuse to think sickness, refuse to think disease, then the Bible says, as a person thinks in their heart, so are they. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. You wouldn't have to struggle to be healed if all you thought was healed. If you refuse to think things contrary to healing. Some of you didn't get that. It would be impossible for you to be sick. If all you did was keep your mind stayed on the Word of God, all it produces is life and peace. There's a lot of you that don't believe that. There's a lot of you that believe that sickness is just a normal part of life and you cannot walk free from sickness. You know why that's true? It's because that's what you believe. Satan has got you in that area and you have empowered him. You can walk free from sickness. You know, I'm not a perfect example. I still fight some things. I am not perfect, but I can tell you that for 26 years, I've never had an aspirin. I've never had sickness win in my life. I've walked in supernatural, divine health. There are examples of other people that have not... Oh, E.W. Kenyon had an entire church that the only time he had a funeral was when somebody was over 80 years of age. Nobody died sick. Nobody died from accidents and stuff like that. You can walk to that degree. Many of you don't believe it, and you say, I can't believe that. Don't worry, it won't happen for you. <laughs> See, Satan's already won the battle. Many of you say, I just can't believe for that. I, I can't even think that way, and that's the reason it'll never work for you. First of all, you've got to start entertaining those thoughts. You've got to conceive it in your thought life. But if you are thinking that, hey, sickness is just normal, I mean, every, every flu season... I always get the flu. If that's the way you think, you will always be tempted with the flu. You might overcome it, but I can guarantee you, you'll have the symptoms of it. You, you can fight it and overcome it, but you'll have that thing come against you as long as you believe that's the way it has to be. As long as you believe that, hey, I'm, I'm over 40, and after all, I mean, at 40, you've got to start feeling bad, and you've got to start having these things happen. As long as you think that way, you can have it. You know, one reason that Adam and Eve lived to be 930 years old they didn't know that at 40 you were over the hill. Adam and Eve didn't know that there was a flu season. 
Adam and Eve didn't know about allergies. They didn't know about heart attacks. They didn't know about genetic hereditary diseases. Wouldn't have done them any good anyway. But Adam and Eve, it literally took 930 years for the devil to kill them because they didn't know how to be sick. You know, my kids, my kids aren't perfect examples either, but my kids, uh, even in the last few years, they hadn't really been seeking the Lord, and they just do not get sick. Neither one of my kids hardly ever gets sick. One of them has never had a shot, has never had a pill, has never had anything in his life. They just don't get sick because we didn't teach them how to be sick. And the few times that they did get sick, we didn't pamper it. I remember one time we were out at the park and Peter was just running and playing as hard as he could. He stopped and walked over to us and just threw up and then took off running, went right back to playing. We looked at him and thought, well, something must be bothering him, but he didn't know that you're supposed to be sick. He didn't know that you're supposed to stop. He just kept going. You know what the modern theology or the modern uh, thinking is in our society today? That you need to get his burst in every sickness. You need to know every symptom, every disease. You need to know all the warning signs. You need to be nearly a doctor yourself so that you can prevent this. And you know what? It just makes you susceptible to fear in those areas. All the devil's got to do is put a pain on you and immediately you say, heart attack! And you start believing for it and embracing it. Then you go and get five people to diagnose it and pronounce that you're dead. And after you got all of this unbelief just piled up on you, then you go to Dean. Pray for me. And if you don't get healed, then you get mad at him. Like, why didn't something work? You've already conceived dead. You've seen yourself dead. You remember dear old aunt so-and-so that had the exact same thing and you went to her funeral and you saw her try and believe God and fail and you've thought this thing through. You've conceived it in your mind. You've seen failure a thousand times and wonder why you're struggling with healing. To be carnally minded is death. You can't be tempted with what you don't think. Did you know if you weren't so smart about all of the rotten stuff that's around, you wouldn't be tempted with it. You know, I hesitate to use some of my examples because people just really think that, man, I mean, people get down on me and they, they look at me as how stupid can you possibly be. And, you know, I have come to realize that God did something supernatural in my life. I used to just think I was raised in a Christian home, but you know what? It finally dawned on me one day that my brother and sister were raised in the exact same home I was raised in. My sister was demon-possessed, tried to commit uh, suicide, with a butcher knife and had a, some serious problems. She's been set free from that and she walks in the power of God. I've seen people raised from the dead. My brother was in and out of jail all of the time. I mean, this guy, when he turned 30 years old, fell down on his face and began to cry because he knew God was going to kill him before he was 30. And they grew up in the exact same home I did. But did you know, somehow, I don't even know why. I can't tell you all of these things. But I just believed what they told me. And I never went through a period of rebellion. I never, I wouldn't have ever done anything uh, to hurt my mother. My dad died when I was 12 years old, and she told me after he died, she says, you, you know what's right, you know what I'd want you to do, and you just do what you think I'd want you to do. And the latest I ever stayed out until I got married was 1030. I would never have ever done anything that would have even made my mother remotely think that I was rebellious or anything. I just didn't have it in me. I didn't desire to do it. And anyway, because of this, you know, I'm sure I heard about homosexuality, but it wasn't for me, so I never thought about it. And to, and to be real honest with you, I never thought about homosexuality. 
I'm sure I heard about prostitutes. I'm sure I heard about all of the perverted sex that you could ever do, but it wasn't for me, and it just didn't register. I never thought about it. And as a result, I was never tempted. I actually talked to a man on the phone one time after I was on the radio, and he called me from Salt Lake, and he was so embarrassed about the weird sexual perversion that he was into that he couldn't even tell people, anybody that he knew. He couldn't tell his pastor. He was afraid that somebody would reject him. So he called me, a stranger. And he was telling me and just pouring out all this perversion and telling me all this stuff. And he even got embarrassed talking to me over the phone. Finally, he says, well, you know how it is. You were single. You've been through this. And I said, fella, I was married and had two kids before I knew that people did that kind of stuff. I didn't know that it was an option. I didn't know that it was even possible. And guess what? I was never tempted. The first time I ever left Arlington, Texas, and I went to uh, New York, I was 18 years old, just turned 18. And man, here we were, and I had just fallen in love with the Lord. Man, I was excited about God. And when I got to New York, we spent the night down on Broadway. And we were at 42nd and Broadway at 2 in the morning. And I was witnessing to everything that moved. I went down these uh, alleys, and I'd never heard of gangs. I didn't know about gangs. Guess what? Because I didn't know about them, because I hadn't heard this, I didn't have a big bit of fear. Ignorance was bliss. And I'd walk down the alleys and see 15 or 20 guys huddled in a corner, and I'd think, oh, this is awesome, a group. And I'd go up and pass them all out track. And I'd witness to these guys. And they'd just stand there and look at me, and I'd preach to them, and they never did a thing. They never pulled a knife. I didn't even know I was in danger. I remember on 42nd Street, there must have been a hundred prostitutes all lined up, up with their legs up against the wall. A hundred of them, just in a row down this wall. I didn't have the slightest clue what this was. I got my tracks out and one by one went right down this wall, passing them all out tracks. Witnessed every one of them. Never was tempted. I had a pimp come up and try and sell me one of his girls. And I didn't know the street language. I didn't know what was going on. And this guy tried for about 10 or 15 minutes to sell me a girl. And honestly, I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. And when I went back to the room, I told the guys I was staying with, I said, you'll never believe what this guy said. And I started telling them, and they started laughing. And they had to explain to me what he was trying to do. But guess what? I wasn't tempted. You can't be tempted with something you don't think. I hadn't even been tempted with a lot of the stuff that you guys have been tempted with because I just hadn't wallowed in that gutter. I don't think that way. Now, I'm not saying I'm not tempted because you just can't breathe and not have Satan come your way. I'm saying I've had some things come my way, but brothers and sisters, honestly, one of the reasons that you're so tempted, one of the reasons that you're fighting with so many oppressions and that you're just... You're sick all the time that you got all this stuff is because you just allow the sewage of this world to flow through your mind free and unhindered and you can't understand why I bound the spirit. I rebuke sickness. Man, it just doesn't work that way. It's not out there. You aren't fighting something out there. You aren't fighting the spirits over Charlotte. You're fighting the spirits right between your ears. You're fighting the thoughts that come against you. You're winning or losing the battle every single day by the things that you hear. 1 Corinthians 15, 32, or 33, right there, it says, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. 
Somebody says, well, brother, I'm mature. I know better. I can watch X-rated movies. I can go to R-rated movies. They don't bother me. You're deceived. Usually goes over about like that. <laughs> hey, I'm a mature adult. I know what goes on. I guarantee you, you watch somebody that portrays something that God intended to be holy and you watch it portrayed and used as just a hunk of meat and I guarantee you, it will affect the way you think. It will bring temptation to you. You sit there and you watch things like, for instance, you know, on... Let's show you, it's been, I don't know how many years since I was a television watcher. I still watch a few things, but I mean, well, you could put my television watching in a symbol and it'd be empty. But you know, I remember that there was people that talked about this Three's Company. I don't even know when that was on. I didn't, I never saw the show, but I heard what it's about. And it was funny and people laughed about it. But you know, it was a totally perverted situation. They weren't married. A guy shacked up with two girls. And Christians watch that for entertainment, something that is an abomination to God. And even if it never led you to lust to commit adultery, it deadened you to the way that God feels about that. You got to where you laughed at something that is a perversion and that destroys people's lives. They didn't present the truth. They didn't show you what really happened. They made it like it was funny. They don't show you the guilt and the things that affects people when they shack up and live together. I guarantee you it'll destroy your life. We've raised an entire generation that laugh at things like this, and there's people today that just don't realize the damage that that does. I actually had a guy come shoe one of my horses, and he kept talking about this girl he was living with. He went to the same church I went to. That's the reason I asked him to shoe my horses. And as we were talking, he just kept talking about his girlfriend instead of his wife. And I said... Are you married to this girl? And he says, no. He didn't act convicted at all, and he just kept talking. And I said, do you realize that the Bible says that that is not right, that you need to be married? And he says, you're kidding. And this guy honestly had never heard it. He, he didn't have a clue. He says, I just saw so many people that have problems in marriage. I thought it was wisdom to live together for a while and make sure that we really liked each other so that we wouldn't have to go through a divorce. And I started sharing things with him from the Word. There's a lot of people that say, hey, that's just a piece of paper. We're married in the sight of God. Well, you can read over in the fourth chapter of the book of John, and Jesus talked to a woman at the well, and he said, go call your husband. And she said, I have no husband. And he said, you've rightly said you have no husband because you've had five husbands, and he who you're living with now is not your husband. I can guarantee you they were having sexual relationship, and Jesus said he is not a husband. Having sex with somebody does not make them a husband. That piece of paper is recognized in the sight of God. Anyway, I could get off the subject, but the point that I'm making is we've raised people that because we laugh at things like this and because we advocate them, we've deadened ourselves, we've numbed ourselves, we entertain thoughts that should be abominations and we laugh at it and poke fun at it. Every time you do that, I guarantee you Satan is gaining entrance and dominance into your life. Well, wouldn't it be awesome to be so pure and so clean that, man, you, you like the things that God likes and you dislike the things that God likes? What would it be like if Jesus physically lived a week with you? What if he watched all the shows that you watched? Would you feel comfortable with Jesus sitting there watching the shows that you watched? 
Would you feel comfortable with Jesus doing the things and reading the things that you read? You ought to feel comfortable with it. Because I guarantee you, He is with you. I guarantee you, the Lord, if we were really conscious of things, it would, it would change our actions. It would change the things that we do, the things that we say, the things that we think on. I'm not saying you can't have fun. I believe Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness above all of his fellows, is what the Scripture says. I believe Jesus had a great time. And I believe he joked. And I'm not talking about some stark shirt that goes around with his hands folded like this and doesn't do anything. I believe Jesus had a grand time. But I guarantee you, he didn't do things. He didn't allow the sewage of this world to flood through his mind and talk about that stuff and dwell on it. And brothers and sisters, most of us do. And we aren't realizing that the mind, the battle for your thoughts, is more important than your actions. Religion has put all of the emphasis on actions. As long as you come and, and you conform to a certain set of rules, most churches would never minister any conviction about what goes through your mind. As long as you shell out your 10%, as long as you come to services, as long as you hit a minimum requirement, most people would never say anything. But I guarantee you, Jesus looks on the heart more than he looks on the actions. I believe that the Lord... I've, <laughs> I was in Phoenix recently, and I was holding a camp meeting, and there was a woman there that had just been born again a month. And this woman was so excited, and at this camp meeting, she got set free. She got turned on. She got healed. Delivered. This woman was so excited... She came up and testified, and every other word was profanity. She cussed, she blasphemed, she damned everything in sight, and the people out there were just, <gasps> they just couldn't believe it. And you know, I thought it was hilarious. And I can guarantee you, her heart was purer than, than most of the people in this tent. She didn't realize yet. It hadn't dawned on her that that's the way she had talked for so long. I believe her heart was pure, and I believe Jesus was going for her. I believe he enjoyed the testimony. <laughs> now, eventually that's going to change. But you know what? Most people, they would just be so upset with their physical actions that they'd have missed her heart. Her heart was great. God's more concerned with a person's heart than he is their physical actions. But on the other hand, if a person came up and said all of the right things and used the religious terminology, they could be just—they could be operating in hatred. They could be bitter. They could be angry. They could speak against people. They could be criticizing people. They could be a total jerk on the inside, and the religion would pat them on the back and say, "Boy, you're wonderful." That's not the way that God looks at it. God's concerned about your heart. There's people that can do all kinds of things wrong because they haven't really been convicted. They haven't understood yet, and God can bless them. You know, I led this uh, couple to the Lord in Childers, Texas when I pastored there. And they had just come out of a nudist colony. They had lived in a nudist colony for three years. And they had a little girl who was about two years old. And we led them to the Lord. And it was uh, awesome. He's the guy I mentioned the other night where I hit him in the stomach. I, he had ulcers and I hit him in the stomach. And uh, God healed him. And before he could get up to hit me, he realized he was healed and he got born again. It was a tremendous deal. And we, they, they loved God. But you know what? When this woman came to church, we only had 50, 70 people max, and we sat in a semicircle. 
And this woman came to church. She had lived in a nudist colony for three years. And so from where she was coming from, a halter top and short shorts were just fine. And that's the way she came to church every time. She was barely clothed, and she was well endowed, too. Amen. I tell you what, it was embarrassing. It was hard to minister with that woman sitting there. And some of our religious people in that service, they really struggled. But I'd been teaching on grace. And you know what? When we led them to the Lord, I didn't tell them that, hey, you're going to have to put on a dress or God won't save you. And I figured if God loved them enough to save them before she got clothed, then praise God, He loved them after. He's saying, I wasn't about to go preaching to her and telling her and trying to condemn her. And I wanted God to show her and to deal with her. So we never said anything. And I talked to the people in the church and I said, don't anybody go around and condemn this woman. I said, her heart's right. She's seeking God and she's worshiping God. She'd just stand there and praise God with tears running down her eyes and she's mostly naked right in church. I mean, it was embarrassing. It was really bad. And some of these old Pentecostal ladies, it just I mean, they, they worshipped with their eyes closed. They listened to the Word with their eyes closed. They went through the whole service with their eyes closed. And you know, one day, about two months later, after she got born again, Jamie was holding a woman's Bible study, and this woman says, you know, I have never owned a dress in all of my life. She had worn one when she was a kid, but she says, I've never owned a dress in all of my life. And she says, I'd like you all to pray with me that God would give me a dress. They were just dirt poor. And I guarantee you by that, by about two hours after that Bible study, <laughs> y'all are laughing. I haven't said the clerk line. That woman must have had 20 dresses within two hours. Every woman in that place went out and bought her two or three dresses. And she came to church from then on wearing a dress. And God took care of it. And we didn't have to tell her that God doesn't love you if you don't start getting clothed. God dealt with it. Man, God's concerned about your heart. But see, we're all into... It's all outward. We're trying to... We're trying to control our actions and we're so guilt-ridden and condemned over our actions. I guarantee you, your actions are just a symptom of the way you're thinking. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If you're living in sin, it's because your thinking's all screwed up. If you're living in poverty, your thinking's all screwed up. Man, if you're having strife and anger and bitterness, your thinking is all messed up. It's not what people are doing to you. It's not the other things that people do that makes you mad. It's the things right between your ears that make you mad. That's the truth. You're winning or losing the battle on the basis of the renewing of your mind. If you're getting wrong results, you've got wrong thinking. And that's where Satan fights against us. Uh, Colossians 2, 8 says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. Notice how Satan comes against you. It's through philosophy, vain deceit. It's through words. The same way he tempted Adam and Eve. It's the same way that he does everything. Satan has no dominion, no power, no authority. The only power he gives him and the whole thing begins with your thought life. He comes at you through thought. That's the reason that, man, the Bible says in Romans chapter 16, I believe it's verse 19, I would have you to be wise concerning that which is good and simple concerning that which is evil. You know what the word simple means? 
If you look it up in the Greek, that word, it's the same word we get idiot from. God wants you to be an idiot. He wants you to be retarded when it comes to evil. He wants you to be to where you just doesn't compute. You don't have enough knowledge to even relate to and understand what the devil's trying to get you to do. That's not true with most people. Most people are so well-versed that, boy, I guarantee you all the devil's got to do is just plant, I mean, a, one word in there and you can just amplify on that, magnify it, and you can run with it. All he's got to do is just, I mean, give you the scent of something and, boy, you'll pursue it. We are wise concerning that which is evil and simple concerning that which is good. It, it ought to be just the opposite. You know, you can literally get so focused on God you don't know how to disbelieve Him. You can actually get so strong in what the Word says that you cannot believe that you're going to be sick, that you're going to be poor. You cannot believe that you're going to fail because God's Word says that you're more than a conqueror. He always makes us to triumph. You can get so zeroed in on that that honestly you do not know how to relate to defeat. You don't know how to prepare for defeat. You can get so zeroed in on the love of God and loving people that you don't know how to be angry at people. You know, I've had that happen. I've had people come up and insult me, and it was later that I thought about it, and I thought, they were insulting me, and it didn't register. <laughs> I remember my oldest son, Joshua, when he was about a year and a half, he, we were at a park, and he was out playing with this stick. I mean, just an old stick is all it was, but he was having a grand time, and we were watching him, and we saw these kids come up. And we were, you know, watching to see if they were going to hurt him or anything. And so they talked to him for a while, and then they held out their hand, and Joshua handed them their stick, and then they ran off about 50 yards over there on this hill, and they started yelling back, and we could hear it, and they were laughing and saying, we got your stick, and making fun of him. And they had tricked him. And boy, it, it made me mad. And I thought, those kids came over there, and all he's doing this playing with this stick and they came and conned him out of his stick and then made fun of it. But anyway, I waited until he came back over our way. He didn't even mention it. I said, Joshua, what would you do with those boys? And he said, oh, I shared my stick with them. <laughs> he wasn't even sharp enough to know that he had been conned. And you know what? Because of it, he didn't get hurt. He wasn't mad. He wasn't bitter. He didn't cry. I've had people that, you know, I asked if they could uh, borrow some money from me. I'd give them, give them money and they never pay it back. There's a lot of people getting bitter and angry over that. You know, I just determined a long time ago, nobody, nobody's going to make me angry at them over something like that. If they don't pay it back, I don't, I don't ever loan money. I tell people, hey, you can just have it. And if you want to pay it back, you can pay it back. And that way, nobody can steal from me. You can't steal from somebody that's going to give you anything. You know, we got over, I don't know, 4,000-something people that pledge to support us on a monthly basis. They get all these partnerships. We mail out these Bibles. We never have more than 60% of those pledges come in any month. I have somewhere nearly 2,000 people every month that default on their pledges. You know what? I don't ever get bitter over it. I don't get upset. I'm ministering to those people. I'd give it to them free. That's what I do give it to them free. You, know, I mean, you can't get me mad. You didn't steal any money from me. Amen. I'm not going to do those things. Some people think, and yeah, and boy, they really take... Just think of all the people that take advantage of you. 
Well, how many of you have to have $180,000 a month to pay your bills? You can criticize me all you want to, but you know what? It's working. God takes care of me, and I'm still, I'm still functioning. Amen? My stupidity and my naivety has got me a long way. Well, if I'm wrong, don't wake me up. I'm enjoying it. Praise God. I was telling Dean today about a woman that was cleaning a room one time in Kansas City, and I think she came on to him. It's a long story. I won't talk about it, but I called Jamie, and I said, Jamie, let me bounce something off of you. And I told her, and she says, you get away from that woman. And sure enough, she did. I went the next morning and gave her one of my Bibles and signed it, and I said, here, I, this is... Uh, I'm the one who wrote the footnotes, and this woman got embarrassed, wrote me a note and apologized. I'm sorry, I didn't know you as a preacher. And then P.S. says, are you married? <laughs> Jamie took that one and answered it. But you know what? Praise God, I wasn't tempted. You can't be tempted with what you don't think. Well, we need to get to where we just think on the Word of God, and you would find out that so much of your troubles would leave. You know, instead of thinking about all the things you don't have, you ought to just go enjoying what you do have. You know what I've shared with you tonight? I believe to be one of the most foundational, powerful truths you'll ever learn. It's so simple, and yet if this is a typical group, I can guarantee you the vast majority, 80, 90 percent, will say, oh man, that's good, and walk out of here and put yourself back into your same lifestyle and let the same junk flow through you, and it'll be gone in just a short period of time. I just don't understand that. Boy, if this is true, which it is true, it ought to affect your life. How can you go back to just doing things that Satan is using as inroad? He's just exposing you to all kinds of junk and trash. And just go back to doing it, knowing the truth. It's one thing to be ignorant of it, but I don't know how you can claim ignorance tonight.